today, uh, you may or may not know it, but it's, um, it's the National Day of Prayer. Uh, the leaders of our country have, have called for that to take place, and all throughout American history, um, you'll remember that there have been times when America has been called to prayer, and uh, with the coronavirus uh, not only hitting America but around the world, uh, I think it's a wise thing to do to say, God, this is bigger than us. We need your help and your intervention. You have the prayer in front of you, and so uh, here's what we're going to do. We've got folks on the platform that are going to read a section, and then when we get down to the second to the last, we pray this unprecedented time, we're all going to join in together uh, all the way through the end. Notice there's a blank, and that blank simply means we're going to pause for a few moments, and you could fill in the blank that's relevant for you, and and, uh, we'll continue on. So let's stand together as we, the National Day uh, Prayer Task Force, put this prayer together, and... um, um, it's good, and we're, uh, we're calling on the name of the Lord. So, Heavenly Father, we turn to you in prayer, not in panic in response to this pandemic. We praise you as almighty, almighty creator and sustainer. You are the author of our days, our refuge and strength. Push back and remove this virus from us. Glorify yourself in this national and global emergency. We cry out to you in unified prayer. For those who have suffered loss of family and friends from this virus, please comfort them. For those who are currently sick, we ask that you heal them. For those who are filled with fear and anxiety in the uncertainty of what to do, or in isolation of quarantine, we ask that you be their courage and that they would acknowledge your presence. Thank you for being our God who never leaves or forsakes us. For those who are not able to work and earn a paycheck, we ask that you provide for their needs. Please connect them with services who are providing food and other resources at this time. For those who are researching and responding to the pandemic, we ask that you pour out your wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in them and through them. Please incline our ears to truth and give us steadfast hearts as our confidence is in you. Give us discernment to divide Rumors from reality. Help us to make wise decisions and listen to good information. For all hospital and nursing home staff, doctors, nurses, lab technicians, first responders, military personnel, and everyone who is at risk to exposure as they serve and care for those who or may have been infected. Please protect them and give them and their families peace as they serve. Help them to Keep patients calm as they work and walk in faith in you. Lord, help us always to respond with your love to our neighbors. Prompt us to check on those near and dear to us as well as neighbors we might not have met yet who may need our help. Help us to remember those around us who are most vulnerable to this virus and to help them by bringing them groceries or other things that will keep them from exposure. Yeah, together. We pray that this unprecedented time in our generation would be used to draw nearer to you and our families. Turn our attention to the many times we have thought or said we don't have enough time to. Help us to use this time to rightly reset and prioritize our relationship with you and our family. Let us draw near to you in faith as our Father and our fortress. Deliver us from this disease, we pray, and let your glory fill the earth as you respond to our prayers. Amen. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your care and concern for people around this world, and we ask that you will intervene, Lord, that you will provide the answers and solutions to this virus. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you have for each person on this planet right now. May we, as followers of Jesus Christ, allow that love to flow through each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. On the back of your programs, there's 
in outline for uh, this morning's talk, and you'll notice that uh, there's there's two subtitles. There's one in Revelation and one in the book of Mark, and because of the situation that we're dealing with, not only in our country but around the world, I thought it would be practical to uh, touch on that particular subject as well. So we're going to we're going to split the time up this morning. It's on purpose and for a purpose. So you can follow along in your uh, on the back of your program as we walk through this together. Yesterday, as I was preparing um, this talk, and just you know, over the past week, uh, there's been a lot of changes taking place. You know, when when universities, uh, professional sports, uh, schools are, are closing down, restrictions are being laid out. Um, it's something that we've not experienced before to this magnitude, and so it's easy to get caught up in the fear and panic if we are not intentional about um, stepping away from it. So yesterday. Um, I heard a bird singing outside our home, and I was reminded of this, um, how, you know, the Lord knows about even when a sparrow falls from the sky. Kyle, you want to bring up that image, too, well, along with that? So um, I, I dialed in on, on uh, YouTube, uh, birds singing, and so um, this is what... I listened to for for quite a long time. In fact, it it runs for three hours if you want it to. And so just listen. I think it's a good reminder. Life can uh, life can get brutal. Um, things can can go south, but God has everything under control. And so, uh, as Matthew six, Jesus encourages us, reminds us of this. That He says, "I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes." Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here it is. Aren't you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And that answer is no, we can't. And going right along with that... um, when Debbie's grandmother lived with us more and more, uh, one of her favorite songs was His Eye is on a Sparrow. And uh, at the, before the first gathering, uh, David Zebarth was in my office. Travis was in there. We were praying for, uh, for her this morning. And I sang His Eye is on a Sparrow a cappella in my wonderful vibrato voice. And they thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, they gave me a fake high five. And, uh, and, and so there you have it. But um, here it is. I, I have a hymn book. And we're not going to sing it. Or we'll walk through it. But why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And so let that be uh, a source of encouragement to to each of us this morning that... uh, God has his eye on us, and he knows exactly what each one of us is going through. So, on the, uh, We're going to pick it up in Revelation 10. Uh, another delay, subtitle. Uh, let's, let's go to verse 1. Here we go. Then I saw another mighty angel, John the Apostle, writing this, 
he's seeing this happen, coming down from heaven surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head, his face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Keep secret what the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand towards heaven. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to listen, to hear you speak, Lord, to you challenge us by your Holy Spirit uh, because we desire to follow after you, Lord, and model your character in this world around us. So we ask you for your help. Um, May we be alert. May we not allow distractions to uh, take us on paths away from what you want to accomplish in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're looking at Revelation 10, and last week we hit Revelation 9. You remember the fifth and sixth trumpet blast, and there was, man, all hell broke loose on the planet. Demonic armies were killing human beings. Those without the seal of God upon their foreheads were, were the targets. And so after that's happened, we come to chapter 10, And we're waiting for the seventh trumpet blast, but it doesn't happen until Revelation 11, verse 15. We see in Revelation 10, verse 7, when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, that's talking about the future, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. And so, once again... In the, in, in the midst of judgment being unleashed on planet Earth, there's kind of a pause, there's a delay for people, once again, to have an opportunity to look at their lives and hopefully even now in our country where sports has been swept away, you know, a huge distraction, that people will somehow look into their own soul and ask the question, how is my soul, you know? And so that can happen. God is not only a God of justice, but he is a God of love, and he always tempers his judgment with mercy. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 2, talks about this very fact. He says, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again, as you did in years gone by, and in your anger, remember your mercy. Now, Habakkuk's realizing that God is a God of justice and judgment, but he tempers it with his mercy. And God is doing that right now, not only in our country and around the world, but he's going to be doing it during the tribulation. So number one in your notes, another mighty angel. Looking at verse one, then I, John the Apostle, saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head, his face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And you can, you can read on yourself. Now, first of all, when you see this another mighty angel, the way John describes him, you, it, it's kind of reminiscent of the description that Jesus was given earlier in the book of Revelation. But you need to know in chapter 10, this is not Jesus Coming down. This is not Jesus being another mighty angel. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is never referred to as an angel. And then when you go into the Greek and you see how John put this together, you'll realize that he's referring to another angel. Not the angels that are blowing the, the trumpet blast, but it's, a, it's simply another angel. And it's a mighty angel because... He's got one foot on land and one in the water. Now, how many of you know that you, we could take a vote this morning, would that be a large angel or not? It would be a, it would be a large angel, right? It has to be. And, and you see 
the description of this angel that God has given this angel authority. And he is about to speak. And so um, we've settled that issue. That's not Jesus. It's, it's a mighty angel. And so um, we see that uh, in John 16, 12, there is so much more I want to tell you. Jesus is saying to his disciples, but you can't bear it now. The mystery that's talked about in this, in this uh, section, uh, the disciples couldn't handle it. This mystery now in Revelation, it's going to be revealed at a later time. So, that's when the angel speaks, number two. Look at verse five. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever. What's going on? He's endorsing Christ. He's elevating Christ once again. To the world, the one who lives forever and ever created the heavens. This this angel is endorsing creation. He's nuking evolution. That's what he's doing right here. He's saying there's a great creator. There's a God who put all of this together. There's a God who knitted you together. There's a God who wrote a book about your life before you were born. So he's endorsing the greatness of God here. The earth and everything in it and the sea and everything in it. And so hopefully if you're, uh, if you're pro-evolution this morning, you'll read the verses here that supports creation and a creator and say, yes, I believe that. There's going to be no more delay. Verse 7, when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Once again, it will happen just as he announced it. What has been announced, what has been prophesied, will be fulfilled. It's going to happen. Friend, you can trust God. You can trust his word. Over 300 prophecies prophesied the birth of Jesus in the Old Testament, and they were all fulfilled, every single one. So I love the Bible, because it's true. And when this verse is saying there's a great creator that put all of this together, you know what? I endorse that along with the angel, man. I, I'm with God. God, you created it all. You know? You are a great creator. And I support your creativity. So, if you want to lean towards evolution, it you know, it just happened uh, that the earth orbits 93 million miles from the sun. It just happened, you know, that just happened. Uh, it just so happened that the sun is 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That just so happened. And if we were a little bit closer, we'd, we'd fry. If we were a little bit farther away, we'd all freeze. But that just happened. The axis on the earth is 23 and a half degrees tip so that we in Wisconsin get some beautiful four seasons. If it was tipped a little bit more to the right or to the left, uh, we'd all freeze to death or we'd all fry to death. I mean, it's it's 23 and a half degrees. It's perfect, man. Um, It just so happens that the atmosphere is perfect with the carbon dioxide and the oxygen mix. Um, If if the mix was thinner, asteroids and meteors would be falling into our space on planet Earth. But God did it all perfect. And so why would intelligent people resist the fact that there is a creator? Well, because that's not cool. Have you noticed in our culture today how cool it is to believe in evolution? I mean, everybody pats each other on the back. They don't shake each other's hands anymore. They can't do that. So they pat each other's back. Yeah, man, it's cool, you know, because we're smart. We're intelligent. Well, that's one reason. Another reason is if we were to acknowledge that there's a creator, then we're opening the door to a creator coming into my room. And if I acknowledge that there's a creator, that means I'm responsible. I'm going to stand before this creator one day and give an account of my life. I don't want to do that. So it's easier to lean towards evolution. Another reason is that sin blinds the minds of people. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So there you have it. It's just plain easier to lean towards evolution if you don't want to believe that there's a great creator. So, it's interesting too, John writes, there will be no more delay. Delay in the Greek is chronos, it means time. God is saying time's up. You know, the timer is going off. I've been patient I've delayed for a long time, and now time is running out. There will be no more delay. That's what this angel is saying, man. And so um, this angel is speaking, and he's saying, hey, there's a pause right now, and it's an opportunity for you to put your faith in Christ, but this delay is coming to an end, and there will be no more time to deal with it. So Walter Scott, a statesman for England back in the, 17, early 1800s, wrote it this way, does it seem strange that Satan has been allowed for 6,000 years to wrap and twist his coils around the world and to work evil and spoil and mar the work of God? Is it not a mystery why God, the God of righteousness and holiness, allows evil to go unpunished and his own people to be crushed and broken on every hand? Truly, this is the mystery of God. God bears with evil until the hour of judgment arrives. And when he will avenge the cry of his people and come out of his place to punish the wicked. Evil, now tolerated and allowed, will be openly punished. So, the mystery is at an end. Christ is about to reign. So right now, you and I are living in a time of delay, friend. And let me encourage you, if you have postponed, if you have delayed your response to a relationship with Christ, I want to encourage you to get on with it because time is getting away from us. Romans 8, verse 18, Paul acknowledging the fact that, yes, we're living on this planet that's broken, but a better day is coming. He says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he, God, will reveal to us later. Yeah. Heaven's going to be so much better. That day's coming. And um, uh, remember that as a follower of Christ, it's, it's going to be rough for a while, but at the end it's going to be great. For the non-believer, it's going to be great right now, but it's going to be bad for a long time. So those are decisions and choices people get to make. Number three, sweet and sour. We're not talking about Chinese food. Um, I know some of you are hungry. I can hear your stomachs growling. Um, Verse 8, then the voice from heaven spoke to me again, spoke to John again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and I told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it. He said, it will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. And so I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. So, what John is saying is God's word, God's word is sweet. In fact, you and I are encouraged to read God's word and apply it to our lives. David in Psalm 119, 103 says, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. How many of you like honey? I put honey on my oatmeal every day. I love honey. I like peanut butter and honey sandwiches, in fact. And so I can identify with this. They are sweeter than honey. David's talking about reading God's word. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is placing value on his word. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. So it reminds us that you and I have a responsibility not just to read the Bible. We need to feed on it. We need to meditate on it. 
We need to take it in to our lives and let it become a part of us. Yeah. So John 8, it tasted sweet at first, but when he digested it, it became bitter. What's that look like? Well, for all of you Krispy Kreme fans out there, it's hard to find a Krispy Kreme anymore, but I know there's one in Florida because I've gone to it, and it's still there. When that hot donut sign is lit up, what does that do, man? There's like a magnet that pulls you into the driveway and into the store. Why? Because the donuts are coming off the line, and that clear frosting is hot. And usually they give you a free one on the, on the way in. You know, you got to try this. Well, that's there's a trick to that, too. Because when you eat that free donut, it goes down so easy. It's like, where did it go? I need another one, you know. And so then you buy another one. And then you eat that one. It's, oh, man, it's so warm. And it goes down so easy. Give me another one. And after the third one, you know, it's, man, that's, I, that's almost like heaven. You know, it tastes so good. Well, a half hour later, what goes on, man? Your stomach, it's pushing out. Get me out of here, you know? That's kind of what it is, what's going on with John. He ate it. It was sweet. Tasted great. But after he digested it, it became bitter. It's a picture of God's word. That it is sweet to the follower of Christ, but it becomes bitter to those who reject God's word. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Isn't that right? You've seen that happen in your own life. A fragrance or perfume is perceived differently by those who are perishing. So we have the responsibility of modeling God's word to those around us. The gospel brings some individuals to heaven when we put our faith in Christ. For those that reject God's word, it becomes bitter. It offers hell. So that's bitter and sweet. Number four... Verse 11, it's time to speak. Time to speak. Then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. John would prophesy about the world that had turned away from God. And he was going to speak truth. Time was running out. For those of you that were around when Keith Green was singing for Christ... He said this, I'd rather have people hate me with the knowledge that I tried to save them. Keith Green was like a prophet singer, realizing that God gave him the gift of music, and he was using it to tell people about Jesus. And when he had relationships with people, he would proclaim the gospel, the good news. And he said, I really don't care if people hate me. I have the responsibility of telling them the truth. John is in that same situation here. It's time for me to speak. And so this morning, the question is, where would we be without God's divine patience, huh? Man, when I think how God has been patient with me and how he was patient with me, giving you and I the freedom to choose, we can choose to put our faith in him or we can choose to reject him. God allows that to happen because that's love. That's how much love God has for you, to give you the freedom to reject him if you want. Man, hopefully, hopefully you'll say yes to him. April 15th, 1912, Titanic, the ship that wasn't supposed to sink, hit an iceberg and it sank, killing over 1,500 passengers. One passenger in particular was Pastor John Harper, He was a widower, and he was traveling on the Titanic with his six-year-old daughter. He was uh, coming to Chicago to speak. In fact, they had offered him to become pastor of that church. 
And so after the ship hit the iceberg, it became apparent that it was going to sink. Harper was able to get his daughter onto a lifeboat. He could have joined her because he was the only surviving parent, but he chose to stay aboard the sinking ship. Why? Because he knew with this disaster, God had given him an opportunity to speak. And so Harper began going from person to person, telling them about Christ's love and urging them to put their faith in him. In fact, he shouted to Christians on the Titanic to let the unsaved, the non-believers, get into the lifeboats instead of them because hopefully they would put their faith in Christ. And all the while, as that ship began to seek, the, the ship orchestra began to play on deck, nearer, my God, to thee, nearer to thee. Imagine people knowing that they were going to perish. And the music goes to this great hymn, Nearer My God. I'm sure these folks were looking at the condition of their souls. One of the men that Harper had gone to was ticked off at him, rejected the message. John took off his life vest and gave it to him and says, you need this more than I do. Harper still actively pressing, telling others about Christ. The ship sank totally into the ocean. John began swimming to passengers that were in the water as well, hoping that they would put their faith in Christ, urging them before hypothermia finally overcame him. Four years later, after this tragedy, the Titanic survivors met in Ontario And one survivor spoke up and told his story about John Harper. He said, I was clinging to a piece of wreckage, and John swam to me, and he urged me, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. The man rejected, and Harper swam away. But soon Harper swam back to this man, knowing that his life was slowly slipping away. And in that process where John pleaded with him to put his faith in Christ, this man said, yes, I believe. And moments later, he watched Harper die from hypothermia. At the conclusion of his story, he said, I'm the last convert of John Harper. And so the Titanic left England with three classes of people, first, second, or third class. But after this tragedy... The White Star Line had a list of only two classes, lost or saved. And in this world, this world that you and I live in, there's only two types of people, saved people or lost people. And which one are you? You see, it's time to speak. It's time to speak because we're living in a time of great fear and panic And so this morning, we have an opportunity to reevaluate. Am I living in fear? Am I allowing this world to dictate how I'm living my life, how I'm responding to this coronavirus or not? And so there's a stampede of fear going on outside these doors. Do you realize that? Let's not get caught up in it. We need to remain calm. Let's be numbered with those people that listen to Jesus because that's what's most important. People are watching. They're listening to how you and I are responding. Because when you fear the Lord, you will fear nothing less. Yeah, we have a great asset as a follower of Christ because we know everything's going to turn out all right. All you have to do is read the book of Revelation and you realize it's going to be okay. Yeah. And Christ has not budged from his throne. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4.18, God's looking after me, keeping me safe in the kingdom of heaven. All praise to him. Praise forever. Paul chose to put his faith, his trust in God, even in the midst of being in prison. So, okay, we're transitioning now to Mark chapter 4. To fear or not to fear, that's the question I want to submit to you this morning. To fear or not to fear. Who are you listening to? Where are you getting your information?
Number one in your notes, Jesus is here. Verse 35, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat. Friends, that's key for today. We take Jesus with us. Yeah, I get it. Jesus lives inside of us. But so many times we take Jesus, say, Jesus, it's time to go in the closet because I'm going to work. I'm going to school. You just stay there. I'll come back and pick you up later. We need to take Jesus wherever we go. When we leave our homes, Jesus, I'm taking you with me. And notice it says, and they started out leaving the crowds behind. We have to leave the media behind on a daily basis. We need to take Jesus with us, open our Bibles, read them, let him speak to us. Because that's where we're going to remain calm in the midst of so much fear and panic. And these disciples get into the boat. Sea of Galilee, 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. Check this out. Isn't that beautiful? That is a postcard, man. It's like, hey, when I go on vacation, I'm going to go to the Sea of Galilee. That is absolutely stunning, you know? Isn't that beautiful? That's the, that's the condition of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus and the disciples got into the boat, man. It was a beautiful day. And the disciples probably thought, hey, we have been with Jesus all day. And you read chapter 4, you'll see, man, it was, a, it was a long, hard day for Christ. And Jesus and the disciples were fatigued. And so they figured, man, we're going to get in this boat. We're going to have a nice, smooth ride to the other side. Uh, guess what? Guess what? Uh, yeah. Is that possible? Anyway, they took Jesus in the boat, started out, leaving the crowds behind. That word took, that's a cool word. It means to take, to take with oneself, not to reject. In order to take it, you can't reject it. Not to withhold obedience. And so these disciples did the right thing. Number two, Jesus is still there. Verse 37, that perfect environment you know, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. Life is going to be good. Life's going to be easy. Not so. Not so. Soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. So notice this boat started out well, didn't it? Beautiful day in the neighborhood. We're going to go to the other side. We're all going to take naps. Look at Jesus. He's sleeping. We're going to sleep too. But a storm comes out of nowhere. And um, they expected, notice the disciples expected a peaceful trip. And they got what they weren't expecting. That can happen in life. And that's why it's important that we do keep our eyes on Christ. Because life is not always perfect. Mark, who writes this, chooses a good word. He doesn't say there was a shower or there was a downpour. He says it was a fierce storm. In the Greek, it means seismos. It means earthquake, trembling eruption of the sea and sky. So it's like you take a jar of water, you know, and you put your Kool-Aid inside, you put the lid on and you shake it up, you know, That's the picture that was going on on the Sea of Galilee, that picture that was so beautiful and calm. Now check it out. This is what's happening. These disciples feared for their lives. Larry Crabb in his book, The Pressure's Off, says, God is not a vending machine dispensing blessings as rewards for our good behavior. We need to reject a faith that is filled with a formula that says, if I do A then God will do B for me. While we can't always make life work like we want, we can always draw near to God. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. We can't control everything that's going on in the world right now, but you and I have an opportunity to draw near to God. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. 
Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So what was Jesus doing during the tsunami? What was he doing? He was sleeping. He was sleeping through it all. My sister, my oldest sister, Diane, when she was 62 years old, was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And prior to being diagnosed, she had insomnia problems. She had trouble sleeping. My other sister who cared for her said that the incredible thing was when she was dealing with cancer, she slept like a baby. She was able to put her head on the pillow and close her eyes because she was at peace with God. In the midst of this storm, Jesus is able to sleep through it all. Why? Because he's in right relationship with his Father. Friend, we can learn from that. That our lives are in God's hands. That gives us great security. No matter what's going on around us in the storm, the seismic storms of life, Jesus has control. He has us in his hands. And so, um, help us, Lord, to follow your example. Number three, Jesus cares. Look at verse 38b. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said, to the waves, silence be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Somebody put it this way. We know at least four of the disciples were fishermen and they're freaking out. It's a dark day when sailors call on a carpenter to get them out of a storm. Right? Yeah. And here they are. And so we've all asked questions like this, haven't we, at some point in our lives? If the disciples said to Jesus, don't you care? Have you ever said that to Jesus? I have. Don't you care? Don't you know what I'm going through? Don't you know what I'm dealing with? You feel like Jesus is sleeping through your storm. Life's not fair. And these disciples, you know, they, when they, they're screaming at him to wake up, they don't say, can you stop this storm? Or are you aware of this storm? Notice where they go. They raise their doubts about the character of Christ. They say, don't you care? That's what happens. We're so quick to forget about the goodness of God in the midst of a crisis. His faithfulness in the past. We start questioning his integrity, his character. Don't you care? God, don't you care? Somebody put it this way, God has never failed me, but he sure has scared me to death a few times. Yeah, well, I'm with the psalmist, Psalmist 4.8, in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. It's a great promise that we can walk in. The message, Mark 4.39, puts it this way, Awake now, he told the wind to pipe down and said to the sea, Quiet, settle down. The wind ran out of breath, and the sea became smooth as glass. Jesus' words are bringing order out of chaos. That's what we were praying this morning with this coronavirus, that Jesus would speak those words of order into the chaos that's going on around us. And when Jesus spoke those words, the storm ended. He uses three words, silence, be still. Silence, be still. Literally, that means be calm and remain calm. Isn't that a good word for us today? As followers of Christ in the midst of this virus, be calm and remain calm. So, today, um, John Burton wrote this article a few days ago, and I, I would like to, I, I think this fuels with what, be calm and remain calm. He says, are you taking the opportunity to show the lost you are fearless, full of faith, and joyful? Or do you, they sense your anxiety about the coronavirus? 
Have you noticed any difference at all between the non-believers and those who are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus? Bold decrees of faith, not confessions of fear and worry, should be exploding out of our mouths. Sure, take precautions, but don't cower. Don't respond like the world. Don't allow the enemy to impact your life. Live, be free. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. Of all people, we should be the ones preaching faith, not fear. Let the world see just how powerful Jesus is and how different his children are. We run to the battle. Right? We run to the battle. So, there we have it. Psalm 135, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, Lord, we're doing that. I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. And so when Jesus spoke, silence be still, he's commanding, he's commanding the storm to turn around. But even more, he's sending a message to the disciples. He's answering their doubts. You think I, you think I don't care? Here I am. I'm proven that I do care. And finally, number four, the choice, fear or faith, verse 40. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no doubt? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so Jesus is basically asking them, why are you reacting to this situation this way, guys? Come on. Come on. I don't think the disciples were expecting Jesus to calm the storm. You know, They, they were upset with him. They were questioning that he didn't care. And so you and I have that same decision. We can put our faith in Christ. What's that look like? That looks like on a consistent basis we meet with the Lord. Our faith will grow. It will remain strong no matter what comes our way. No matter what seismic crisis hits the planet, we remain calm in the midst of it because Christ is in our boat. We're in the boat with Christ, and he's not going anywhere. And so that word afraid, why are you such cowards and such faint hearts? That's cowardly fear. They had Jesus in the boat with them, and they looked at the circumstances instead of Christ. And then after Jesus calmed the storm, they looked at Jesus, and they were terrified because he had the power and the authority to overrule the weather. And so... I, once again, I'm thinking of turning your eyes on Jesus. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's what the disciples finally did. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If the disciples would have remembered that Jesus was in the boat instead of focusing on the storm, everything would have been okay. And so this morning, I want to encourage each one of us, man, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Huh? Let's do that. Let's be reminded that Jesus is still on the throne. He's not panicking. He's not wringing his hands. It's going to be okay. And so in the British museum in London, there's an old mariner's chart drawn back in 1525. That's a long time ago. It was drawn of outlining the North American coastline. And the person who created the map did so from information that he had gleaned from the ocean-going cruise of that day. And there were notations where the reefs might be, where the best harbors could be found, But there were also sections on this map that he had created that were relatively blank. And in those sections were notations like, here be giants. And over here it was, here be scorpions. And over here, here be dragons. But before this map made its way to the British Museum, it was a prized possession of the British explorer Sir John Franklin in the 1800s. And in spite of its value, Sir John Franklin was offended by the fear of these former sailors 
that allowed fear to paralyze them. And so he scratched out the inscriptions on this map and in their place that once read, here be giants, here be fiery scorpions, here be dragons, he wrote these words across the map. Here be God. Yeah. Because fear is a real emotion. And oftentimes fear is written on our hearts. And for faith to rise up, we need to scratch out the fear and put here be God. God lives here. How about it? First Samuel 25, 29. This is a takeaway you can bring home, sticking on your refrigerator. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God, secure in his treasure pouch. So when I read this, I think about the kangaroo. How about it? And the mom with that treasure pouch, you know, the little kangaroo babies right here. And she's hopping all over the place. And that little kangaroo baby, boop, right in here in the treasure pouch, safe as can be. That's a picture of what God does for you and for me. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. Why? Because you are secure in his treasure pouch. Isn't that a great place to be? Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity that you've given to us to be reminded of your greatness, Lord, that you are the great creator. Lord, you create life, you sustain life. And so this morning, Lord, we have come in your presence because we need to be reminded, Lord, that you are a God who is in control. You are a God who does not endorse fear or panic. Instead, you are a God of peace. You are a God who brings calm in the midst of a storm. And so, Lord, may we be reminded this morning and remind ourselves consistently by reading your word and allowing you to talk to us, to encourage us, Lord. Be reminded that you, Jesus, are living inside of us. You, Holy Spirit, have been deposited inside each one of us, guaranteeing our inheritance for what's in the future. We thank you, Lord, for your great work in our lives. Help us, Lord, not to look at the storms of life, but help us to focus in on you, Jesus. You make the promise. I will never leave you. The promise, I will never abandon you. And so, Lord, we embrace that promise today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.